Part two of A Soldier's Diary by Ralph Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two. June twelfth. Asked the mayor about my Englishman. Apparently he is a real hermit, and although he has lived in the village for twenty-three years, they know nothing about him. He is a fishing maniac, and they say he spends most of his time on the river. Pity I am not a novelist. What wasted possibilities for a real thriller. June 13. Starting work on the construction of a new rifle range up in the hills so that the men can keep in trim. Pleasant evening fishing. June 14. Busy day on the rifle range, but knocked off work early for company inspection by the commander, Royal Engineers. I think he was fairly pleased with us, and he brought a message of congratulation to us from the divisional commander for our work at Ypres. June 15. Worked all morning on the rifle range with a battalion of pioneers. Progress was very slow, as we were working in solid chalk, and every piece has to be drilled off. In the afternoon, went for a ride with two infantry friends over the hills towards the coast. A most perfect day, and so very easy to forget that we are engaged in war. Once we came up through dense pine forests onto the bare summit of the last ridge of hills before the coast, and to my great delight we could see the spires of Calais in the distance. Instantly I recalled Matthew Arnold's lines, and felt certain that he had been on that selfsame ridge when he wrote them. A thousand knights have reined their steeds to watch this line of sand hills run along the never silent strait to Calais glittering in the sun. And fifty miles away, the guns. June 16, Sunday. Received orders to proceed to Corps Gas School for a course of training in anti-gas warfare, etc. Went with ten other officers in a lorry from brigade headquarters and persuaded our driver, 20 francs, to get lost in St. Omer. We had an excellent four-course lunch in approved civilian style, and on arrival at the school at 3 p.m., well, since twas very clear we drank only ginger beer, faith there must have been some stingo in the ginger. June 17. Spent a quiet, restful day, work starting at 9 a.m. and finishing at 4 p.m., wrote letters in the evening and early to bed. June 18. Had a very interesting day making gas attacks and committing sundry other barbarities, among them walking round a room smelling bottles and trying to identify the contents by their stinks. My nose feels as if the world were composed of one vast, unmentionable stink. In the evening went for an hour's march in gas masks. What sublime, unutterable joy to get them off again! June 19, nothing doing at the school, so we made up a party and again tasted the somewhat bitter sweets of semi-civilization. June 20, boring day, fed up. June 21, manufacturing stinks all day. We'll be heartily glad to see the company again. June 22, examination and end of the course. Thank God. Felt rotten in the afternoon and went to bed. Pray it isn't Spanish flu, as there is a terrible lot about. Shortly after midnight, a party came into our hut and took out Captain Sparks and threw him in the pond. Served him right. I never knew a more bombastic idiot. 
june twenty three went back to the company in a motor lorry arriving three p m found the others playing badminton over a wire net and in field boots still jolly feverish but cheered up to be with the company again june twenty four there are rumors about today that we are going still farther away from the war in order to be trained as storm troops apparently we are considered a good division and we are picked for the grand forlorn hope of the allies even the most pale-faced pacifist could hardly help feeling a thrill of pride when he learns that he is picked for such a venture myself i am delighted until i think of the married men it is at least certain that i am far too sentimental to be a staff officer a man who unconsciously visualizes the widows and the orphans could never do it and to me it will always be something more than a game of chess but perhaps that is only the natural attitude of the pawn june twenty five orders came through last night that we are moving again to-day but it is to be eastwards this time up all night in consequence and had company on the road with all transport by eight thirty a m marching all day via watton to st omer where we arrived at six p m very weary had only three hours sleep and was roused by orderly corporal at one a m june twenty sixth with instructions to meet staff captain fifteen miles away at seven a m what a life from brigade went forward on bicycle and arranged billets for company which arrived at four p m very poor accommodation and officers had to sleep in tents june twenty seven spent a quiet day resting and cleaning up after our travels learnt that we are going into the line again south of ypres in the neighbourhood of the camel front june twenty eight two officers went forward to the line to take over our work from the french spent the day inspecting all our gear and cleaning guns and ammunition we are beginning to lose our ragamuffin appearance and look something like soldiers again to-day it is wonderful the way the men can pull themselves together after the times they have had june twenty nine all details completed and we are ready for what june thirty sunday at two p m we left our billets and should be in the line about six p m when we set out the company looked smarter than i have ever seen it the men fit and well and marching like the guards the horses fat and frisky and the wagons and the harnesses shining like a dress parade the major was away in front with derry so that i was in command i felt sad as i rode round the ranks for the last time and took my station at the head of the column then turning in my saddle i gave the words and as the lead chains tightened and the pontoons lumbered slowly forward my sadness changed to pride for the first time in my life i was leading two hundred and fifty magnificent men towards a battle and i prayed that i might never let them down proceeded to divisional headquarters area where we installed our transport with the exception of the limbers the sections then went forward to billets under the shadow of kemmel where we arrived about seven p m everyone very tired as it has been a broiling day and we are white with dust our area does not seem to have been shelled very much and the farms and cottages where the men are billeted are almost intact we are however completely overlooked from kemmel hill and cannot move about in daylight 
the tool carts were brought up and camouflaged after dark and when all was settled and the men had had a meal i went to investigate my billet it is a small room ten feet by six feet and with the exception of a similar room adjoining it is the only remaining part of what has once been a decent cottage the walls were peppered with newspapers printed in five different languages and the general filth of the place was beyond description following my usual practice i put marjorie's large photograph in my map case and hung it on the wall after which the place looked a little more cheerful however the guns were very active the lice were even more so and not even the comfort of her photograph could induce me to fall asleep july one got up about eleven a m and spent the day until four p m lying in the sun and listening to the decca and the guns the last of the french officers left us to-day after marking on our map where two women are to be found on the stevendard road thank god we are not like that about four thirty p m all officers cycled forward to inspect work everything is utterly destroyed and the once prosperous little town in front of us is now nothing but a pile of bricks it requires large parties of men working all night to keep one road clear for the transport when one considers that the town has been utterly wiped out in two months one can form some conception of the intensity of the german shell-fire after struggling through the debris we left our cycles behind a hillock entered a trench and walked round to the front away on the left we could distinguish the ruins of ypres shining faintly in the evening sun and smoking under a desultory bombardment closer to us was the brick pile and swamp once known as dickebush and in front a few hundred yards away the bulk of kemmel hill towered over us two months ago i saw it covered with beautiful woods and peaceful rest camps now it is a bare brown pile of earth and only a few shattered tree stumps in the shell-holes remain to mock the memory of its verdant beauty the whole of kemmel hill and the valley and the ravines in front are one solid mass of shell-holes the earth has been turned and turned again by shell-fire and the holes lie so close together that they are not distinguishable as such the ground in many places is paved with shrapnel balls and jagged lumps of steel in ten square yards you could pick up several hundredweight there was a magnificent view of all the bosch forward lines but of course he has a much better view of ours and also of our back areas they say it is death to move a finger in front of the hill and all our work will have to be done at night on our way back we came across an old french battery position which had apparently been defended to the end in the great struggle the guns were right in the open and must have caught the full blast of the german fire for the limbers were all shattered to pieces and many of them were turned over into the shell-holes the gunners were killed to a man round their pieces and could have no finer monument than their pile of empty shell-cases their bodies still lay there unburied mixed up with the carcasses of the horses with which they had tried to get the guns away at the last moment some were headless limbless and with their entrails strewn around them most had had the clothing blown from their bodies and some had been half eaten by the rats a noble end 
and yet how infinitely better if such true nobility could have served a better cause or must we in despair admit our civilization is to be a sham and war the only reality which can show us at our best if any man had the power to picture the fearful indescribability of that scene i vow there would be no war but it is not to be the world is so utterly detached from all this blood and carnage it doesn't worry them and besides they must have recreation the strain is so terrible you know they can hardly stand it poor things and besides the air raids terrible meantime we die without recreation father forgive them for they know not what they do july two before turning in last night i spent some time over my maps and have now got a pretty clear idea of the hopelessness of our position there are no trenches but we hold a broken line of outposts about five hundred yards in front of an old main road which we are defending the key of our position is one solitary hill a small symmetrical hump not more than a hundred feet high and entirely overlooked by mount kemmel which is ten times higher and yet the whole line in northern france and perhaps the result of the war depends on our holding this little hill between it and the coast the country is as flat as a pancake and if we lose the hill we lose calais and the belgian ports so much for the country now for the men we have a division which with the exception of the few days recent rest has had about six months of continuous hard fighting our front is twice as long as it should be we are still below half strength and most of our effectives are boys of eighteen to nineteen going into the line for the first time on the other hand the huns hold very superior positions and they are flushed with victory such is our problem the answer will be written in blood around the slopes of kemmel i forgot to say that there are no reserves between ourselves and calais let us pray july three went forward at three a m with the major in the hope of laying out new trenches for to-night's work unfortunately the mists cleared away very early and we were not able to do very much fritz was apparently very sleepy and we didn't get sniped nevertheless i was jolly glad to get into a trench again i cycled back and spent the morning at the dump and in looking for material in the afternoon went forward again with my sergeant to show him the work but was not able to do much as the snipers were very active went forward again in the evening did another reconnaissance and got a party of about thirty men out on the job by eleven p m we were trying to put a belt of wire across the end of a valley which offers a covered advance to huns progress was very slow owing to persistent enemy machine-gun fire and horrible condition of the valley bottom fritz had apparently brought a gun forward specially to shoot up the gully and we had to spend most of the night on our stomachs in addition the transport got lost and we were held up for lack of materiel july four got back to billets about five a m having been on my feet twenty-six hours had a few hours sleep and went forward again with ten men showing them the tracks etc so that they will be available as guides 
went forward again at eight p m and after a terrific struggle got two pontoons of material behind the hill by eleven p m on way up an eight-inch shell landed between the wagons and knocked out two men whom we left with royal army medical corps the horses were terrified and in trying to hold them baker was knocked down by one and badly kicked i wanted him to go back but he insisted in carrying on there was heavy shell fire all the way up and i was damn glad to get them all under cover work on the valley was again very slow owing to heavy machine-gun fire and lack of carrying parties jumping up into a shell hole when the fire was rather hot i caught on some wire and ripped my leg and also cut my left breeches leg right off when the men had gone back i tried to do some more taping out before the mist cleared but could hardly drag myself along and nearly fell asleep in no man's land july five got back to billets to find that derry had gone sick more work for the rest of us and we are nearly tired out now in the evening blacker crocked up and went sick too pure undiluted funk on his part three officers left now to do the work of ten and the major will go soon he hasn't been to bed for a week and must have walked at least twenty-five miles every day i had a talk with him and persuaded him to order the transportation officer up from the horse lines so that will make four of us i have got two brigades to look after now forward again about seven p m and nearly completed wire across the valley in spite of usual machine-gun fire two men hit in my party heavy shell-fire all night july six coming home about four a m i met the major alone and although nearly finished i went back to help him to lay out a new line poor old major is nearly done but he will drop before he gives in i hope we can last until some more officers come but my eyes are jumping and my head sings like a tornado how few people must know what it is like to be really exhausted in the body and yet to have a mind which drives you on to make your heart and nerve and sinew still serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them hold on i hope we can july seven beginning to get used to feeling tired and think we can stick it now we are all jumpy and are too far gone to talk or read the paper the decca hasn't been touched for days had another cruel night and was on the go for twelve hours finished wire across the valley and got well on with digging reserve trenches and wiring reserve line july eight had three hours sleep and went up again at night after a heavy afternoon's work very heavy thunderstorms all night made it almost impossible to move about was so exhausted with falling into shell holes that i started to crawl about on my hands and knees in the mud once i almost cried with sheer weakness on way home i fell off my bike and was so weak i had to leave it in a shell hole once or twice i touched my revolver there is always that it is a terrible thought and even now half an hour afterwards i can't understand it how much less can people at home july nine slept a bit worked all afternoon and up again at night 
heavily shelled on way up but no casualties completed first wiring of left brigade front and most of their digging did an early morning reconnaissance with major and brigade major having been on the go fifteen hours i think we can keep it up indefinitely now but where our strength comes from i don't know at least eighteen hours per day july ten usual sort of day had to walk all the way to line and back as it was impossible to get a bike through the mud wretched night with pouring rain and howling wind two poor devils killed july eleven usual day started clearing new wood for digging tomorrow night whole area heavily shelled could sleep forever and would dearly love to die july twelve went up in the afternoon to take over two more jobs making a new roof for left brigade headquarters and tunneling an underground first aid post for the middlesex had tea with the brigadier and then dinner with the commanding officer front line battalion it is already very amusing the way in which some of these old-time regulars endeavor to preserve their mess formalities the dugout couldn't have been more than twelve feet square and yet they managed to produce quite a respectable four-course dinner for seven officers it was handed on to the table by a perspiring orderly who crouched in the entrance to a tunnel which could not have exceeded three feet by four feet how the food was cooked i could never imagine but the smells of cooking leaked out from behind the orderly and somewhere in the depths of the blackness behind him there was a voice that swore mightily and frequently i judged that the voice had produced the meal and also that it had been a hot job most of the soup got spilt before it left the end of the cavern but the smell was excellent and gave us quite an appetite for the tinned salmon which followed this had been brought up with ammunition and a bottle of execrable french vinegar from division that very afternoon the next course was excellent roast mutton procured as the result of dark dealings with the army supply corps fresh peas from heaven knows where and lastly some sauce made from mint which they said had been growing last night in no man's land the sweet was a treacle pudding we drank thin whiskies and sodas which were distinctly lukewarm in spite of all the doctor's efforts to keep the stuff cool all things considered a very enjoyable meal and a great credit to the voice did a hard night's work and got back feeling as if i could sleep forever about five a m july thirteen was up again about ten a m and inspected explosives before lunch then up the line again to start another mining job b company headquarters front line battalion have now got two big mining jobs in hand and the colonel absolutely refuses to send me any timber he says there is plenty to be salved true o king but to call it firewood would be flattery however it doesn't matter if the whole damn shaft falls in and kills twenty men there are plenty more in england life is much cheaper than timber managed to get home for tea and dinner but back out again all night while talking to one of the working party officers a piece of whizbang landed between us and another one smashed his respirator i am sure someone is going to be killed in the mines the earth runs like quicksand and even with decent frames it would be a dangerous job 
without it is sheer suicide and a shell anywhere near us on the surface will cave the whole thing in fortunately the men don't realize these things lucky beggars july fourteen informed that the division on our right are doing a raid tonight but working parties are to go out as usual if i were sentimental i should have to write a last letter home every night then i would certainly be killed started work on a strong point in front of the hill and shortly afterwards our barrage started in conjunction with the raid it was very fierce and the s o s lights went up at once over the german lines we were watching the pretty colours when their protective barrage came down just like a sudden thunderstorm and i realized to my horror that we were working dead on their barrage line before i saw exactly what had happened two men were knocked to pieces and the remainder were running all over the place looking for cover there were the ruins of a farm on our left and i was trying to get the men together into the holes around this we got about fifteen into this and several wounded and then they shortened range a salvo came bang up on top of us there was a great lurid flash and a roar by my feet and i thought i was done for i went clean off my feet and was blown several yards but got up and found i was untouched but nearly blind and awfully dizzy i heard someone calling and found mcdougall he had been knocked over by the same shell and was quite blind we crawled into a hole together and waited to get our breath the shells were coming just round us in solid masses so close that we could feel the earth heaving and once or twice we were half buried i had lost my bearings completely and mcdougall was still blind and apparently dazed for he wouldn't answer when i shouted in his ear then i felt alone and i thought i would go mad there were rats in the same hole with us screaming with terror and all the time those blasted shells crash 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 i felt i must do something so i looked over into the next shell hole and saw that it was part of an old trench i shoved mcdougall over and together we flopped down into it and felt much safer as it was deeper than the one we had left then i started to crawl along the trench and to my great delight we found some of the men for three-quarters of an hour we lay in that ditch with the earth jumping and falling all around us at times the whole trench seemed to move three or four feet a ration party out on the mule track hadn't got much good cover and we could hear the poor devils moaning and screaming as some of the others tried to drag them back to the aid post some of the kids in our trench began to cry and i felt like it myself we were all choking and the valley was so full of smoke and dust that i couldn't even see the very lights which were less than three hundred yards away only the great red splashes of fire where the shells burst it seemed to last for hours the steady crashing of the bursts the whine of the flying pieces and all around the screaming of shattered men who had once been strong and then the smell which if a man has known it once will haunt him to the end of time the most sickly nauseating stench in the world the combined smell of moist earth high explosive and warm human blood god in thy mercy let me never again hear any one speak of the glory of war
about one thirty the noise stopped almost as suddenly as it had begun but he put down two more barrages one at two a m and one at two thirty had an awful headache when i got to bed End of part two